This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the March 8th, 2019 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt. I'm doing uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, race at Las Vegas was was pretty entertaining. And now we've got Phoenix coming up. So uh, one more race after Phoenix to complete the West Coast swing at Auto Club Speedway. So we'll go from a mile and a half to a mile track to a two-mile track next weekend. But, of course, this weekend at Phoenix. So, uh, yeah, got a lot of diversity in the tracks early on in the season. Yeah, fourth race of the year, and uh, adding to that diversity is the fourth rules package that we will have. Uh, but before talking about Phoenix, let's look at the race we had at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Joey Logano came away with a win, uh, making Team Penske two for two at the one and a half mile tracks so far this year. Uh, Nick, talk about the racing at Las Vegas under the new aerodynamic package and uh, how it compared to last year's race. Yeah, well, certainly I think NASCAR is headed in the, I think, in the right direction uh, with what they want to see. The overall number of passes was up. Um, Of course, NASCAR is also going to tout that there were more passes for the lead on the track. But that can be a little bit misleading because, um, you know, if if two cars are running side by side and they happen to be trading the lead back and forth around one or two consecutive laps, they'll, you know, even though they're not counting it at the start finish line is what NASCAR is counting at any scoring loop. Uh, it could be a little misleading, but there's no doubt the volume of changes is far, far greater uh, in terms of just overall passing. Um, if we, you know, compare it to last year at Vegas, that was the most boring spring race at Vegas ever. Um, it was just dreadful. You know, Kevin Harvick led over 80 percent of the laps um, passing throughout the field was pretty minimal. So uh, I would definitely say it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, it was really cool to see a 100 lap green flag run at the end there for the cars where uh, the leader won by only less than a quarter of a second. And despite running for a green flag for 100 laps at the end of the race, uh, the only cautions were stage cautions. So I think NASCAR will be a little concerned about that, that uh, this was, you know, one of the very few races in the stage era that uh, I think had no what we call um, natural cautions. So no cautions for stages or no cautions for uh, like uh, competition cautions. Those are kind of the manufactured cautions. There are no natural cautions for debris or wrecks or blown engines or anything like that. 
Uh, so that's a little concerning for NASCAR because I think that might actually be the first time in the stage era. If not, it's only the second time for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I know the fans want to see a few more cautions. Uh, that's just part of being a fan to keep the racing closer. But, you know, the green flag racing was close as well. And we saw some good good battles up front and uh, a lot of cars able to kind of be competitive there at the end, even hanging with the leader. And for three out of three races this year, we have a finish that was within a quarter of a second from first to second place. So I know that NASCAR has to be happy about at least that aspect. Nick, how do you think is the right way to uh, evaluate the aerodynamic package? So we're starting to get more races with the package, but it's always a little bit different each race. Like, do you think um, the natural way is to sort of compare, uh, like, from one race to the next race or compare uh, to what we historically see at that track and then to kind of try to calibrate based on that distance? Yeah, I think I think the the latter more so than uh, the former there. So calibrating relative to last year or to the prior, let's say three years, 2016, 17, and 18, because that's when NASCAR really started trimming the downforce on these Gen 6 cars uh, is that 16, 17, 18 era. So you kind of compare, let's say, Atlanta to 2016 through 18 Atlanta, compare Las Vegas to 2016 through 2018 Las Vegas, and see what differences are common among all of these races. Now, obviously, we've only had two races, so you know if there's things we've noticed at both Atlanta and Las Vegas that are different relative to past Atlanta and past Las Vegas, something to take note of. Obviously, we're only at a sample size of two, so um, you don't want to jump the gun on conclusions there, but definitely I'd be looking at comparing, and you know maybe that's something that would be a, a cool article to write going forward be uh you know after we've got a handful of races let's say 10 or 12 races uh under these new packages um what differences we see relative to prior years and then we can really start to build some trends once we've got six eight ten twelve and then especially up around 20 or a full seasons worth of races but uh yeah, I mean, right now we're definitely still at a bit of a small sample size, but there are some very obvious differences. You know, cars being able to hang with the leader even after long green flag runs, um, being able to pass the leader is also a very good thing that we've been seeing, which is, I think, been a lot harder. Uh, you know, in, in 16 through 18, it was you, know, you were able to catch the leader but not pass him was the old saying. Um, but uh, we're definitely able to see passes for the lead, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's mostly just comparing, you know, the average of 2016 to 2018 and then comparing it. What is the difference 2019, you know, Atlanta to previous Atlantis, Vegas to previous Vegas's, and then looking at those differences, what's similar among all of those differences. All right. So we have two races, uh, under the new aerodynamic package, um, based on what we saw at Las Vegas this last weekend, what are some of the DFS takeaways that you think we can apply moving forward? Uh, well, I think it was a. I, I think Vegas was kind of an interesting race because um, we saw so few cautions. We also saw relatively few cautions at Atlanta. So I think the new norm may be fewer cautions, and what that does is it makes things maybe a little more predictable. So as much as we thought this year was going to be unpredictable, um, you know, the, the better cars are still running better. The worst cars are still running worse, although there is some shuffling through, you know, through the midfield. You know, it's cool to see, for example, Matt Benedetto finishing in 21st place and things like that. Now, of course, that's the car Casey Kane was in last year, and that car is definitely capable of 21st. But, you know, I, I think the main thing is if there's going to be fewer cautions, and this is kind of doing what we were just talking about, comparing the 2016 through 2018 
both Atlanta and Las Vegas were well under their average cautions. If you remove the the manufactured cautions, uh, both both Vegas and Atlanta were well under. So if what that does is, um, you know, a caution near the end of the race really randomizes things um, because you have a restart, you have pit strategy, et cetera. But if you don't have cautions near the end of the race, you get these long green flag runs at the end of the race then the faster cars tend to still have enough time to pass and catch the lead or, 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 you know, pass the slower cars and things like that. So it makes it a little more predictable. So uh, I think from a DFS takeaway, um, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting for the mile and a half, now I won't apply this necessarily to ISM Raceway this weekend at Phoenix, because this is a 750 horsepower that we've talked about. uh, And we're going to talk about what we can expect this weekend. But I think uh, at least for the mile and a half, so far we've seen the number of cautions down and that makes things a little more predictable. So, um, you know, being a little more chalky actually might be okay so far in DFS. Let's jump into the racing this weekend. IMS Raceway is a one-mile flat oval. uh, And as you mentioned, we will have the 750 horsepower, uh, just like we had in 2018. But unlike last year, the cars will continue to race with the larger rear spoiler, the splitter, and the radiator pan. What impact do you think the changes uh, from last year to this year will have on what we see at Phoenix? Yeah, so obviously the horsepower is the same, but uh, the larger spoiler, splitter, wider radiator pan, etc., all those things are designed to create more drag and as a result, more downforce. And so what that's going to do is that's going to let these cars go faster through the corners. More downforce means more grippiness on the track. So you don't have to ease off the throttle, ease off the gas as much to make the corner. And you still don't really lose much straightaway speed because we're only at a mile track. So the overall trade-off is these cars are probably going to be faster than last year. Um, you know, so and it also just faster through the corners. And what that means, if the cars are going to be faster through the corners, I actually think it's going to be harder to pass at Phoenix than in previous years. So. Uh, you know, we've already seen dominators at Phoenix, but I think you could really see it be hard to pass the leader at Phoenix. If he's got that clean air, he's got a lot of downforce to just stick to the track, make it through the optimal low line through the corner there. It's going to be really hard to pass the leader. So unlike Las Vegas, unlike Atlanta, where we've got the mile and a half. Uh, and, and, you know, that downforce level doesn't matter as much because of the draft mattering more. We're not going to see the draft come into play at Phoenix, and you're going to see that downforce matter so much more. So if we compare, for example, uh, just practice one at Phoenix, the single lap speed, you've got uh, Ryan Blaney at 141.7 miles an hour. And then let's go back and look at the practice one speed for the first Phoenix race last year. 138.2, so three and a half miles an hour faster this year for Blaney, who is uh, the fastest in opening practice on a single lap, versus Larson, who was fastest on a single lap in opening practice last year. So uh, you definitely will see faster speeds at Phoenix, and that's because of the increased downforce making cornering better, which I actually think will make passing harder because the draft really isn't coming into play. So track position is going to be extremely important this weekend. All right, so it's not enough for us to have a new aerodynamic package. Uh, We also will have, courtesy of Goodyear, a new tire combination in Phoenix uh, with the goal of having more tire fall off throughout the run. Uh, So Goodyear issued a warning to the teams to respect uh, the recommended tire pressure levels 
what should we make of all this? What impact is it going to have on the racing? Yeah, I think I think um, Goodyear and NASCAR in general realize if if this is going to be the case where it's going to be harder to pass in the corners, you have to do something to get these cars to be a little easier to pass, and that comes through the tire fall off. So something you know more like Atlanta where you got high tire wear. Now this is not going to be like Atlanta because it's a far less abrasive track, way newer paved, but uh, if you can bring a softer compound that will fall off, that will wear easier, um, that is a little bit that can help. But the other thing that happens is when you have uh, one of these warnings issued by Goodyear is inevitably you all have teams running under the recommended pressures anyway uh, just to try to get a little more grip advantage. Uh, you know, Because if you run lower pressures, there's more contact surface area with the ground, and that gives you more grip through the corners. So uh, you could see more tire blowouts, and we have seen that in Phoenix in the past. We've seen melted beads uh, or just tire blowouts in general when uh, things have either been hotter uh, with the brake temperatures or – um, you know, or just running under the recommended tire pressures. So we could see tire blowouts at Phoenix, which could add a little bit of randomness to the race. Um, but uh, overall, I don't know if the Goodyear tires, you know, the softer compound is going to be enough to overcome just the fact that, A, it's already hard to pass at a short, flat track, and B, now we've got that extra downforce. Uh, so um, it'll be interesting to see 10 lap times, for example, on on practice on Saturday, uh, both in practice one and practice two, when there's, you know, an earlier practice and a later practice so that you get different temperatures throughout the day. Uh, and because, of course, this race will be run pretty much in the heat of the day in Phoenix. Now, I haven't looked at the the weather forecast for Phoenix yet. That's something I typically do uh, on Saturday morning and then Sunday and try to compare Saturday to Sunday weather. Uh, but you know, it'll definitely be interesting to see practice one and practice two on Saturday. Look at those long run speeds. How much are things falling off? Does anybody have a tire problem in practice? Because if you see some tire issues in practice, whether excessive wear or uh, a blown tire or a flat tire or things like that, um, then that could give some indications for the race. But as far as the actual passing on track, at it, even though it's going to be a softer compound uh, with the goal of more wear, I still don't think it's going to be enough to overcome the difficulty in passing. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. With all that said, do you expect racing this weekend to be more random, less random, or uh, about what we've typically seen in previous years? Um, I think overall, I think the it'll be more and less random, so I think it'll kind of balance out. I think the randomness will come about in different ways. I think the difficulty to pass on track will make it more predictable, but maybe a higher chance of tire problems will make it more random in that regard. So it really comes down to when is that last caution going to happen and uh, will the tire wear be enough that it'll force some teams to pit and some teams to stay out. So we remember Ryan Newman a few years ago won a race at Phoenix. He stole a win at Phoenix. Uh, it was the 2017 opening Phoenix race, I believe it was, because um, he stayed out. 
and other drivers came in and took two or four tires, and Newman was able to hold them off on a two-lap shootout. We could see something like that again. So that, that, that creates randomness. But – you know, uh, if we don't see a late caution, if the tire compound is is if the teams respect the pressures, et cetera, and there's no late caution, it could be more predictable than previous years. So I think overall, in the long run, it may actually balance out, and it's all going to depend on uh, when that last caution comes out. So I think both less and more predictable, but overall, probably the overall randomness will be about the same. Okay, on the topic of randomness, let's talk about the road of its content this week. Uh, your model results uh, go into the Rotoviz lineup optimizer. How accurate was the model this past weekend at Las Vegas? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the content will also be a little more random this weekend. We'll touch on that at the end of the show. But uh, the the model results for Las Vegas were actually pretty crazy accurate. The model R squared from the predicted finishing position to the actual finishing position was point. Eight zero, So one of the highest we've ever had for a predicted versus actual result. And here we were thinking maybe it would be in the 0.4, 0.5 range because of the added randomness of the draft and, and so forth. But maybe because of the, the added downforce levels and the slower speeds at the faster tracks, um, you know, because uh, you all of that drag matters so much more at the mile and a half banked ovals. You're, you're running a lot faster, so that drag and that downforce is going to negate the straightaway speed. So even though you have higher cornering speed, um, I think it's a little easier to control these cars with all that added downforce. So uh, that makes it, I, I think, lower in terms of the number of cautions. That's one of the trends we talked about at the beginning. And in that case, if you have a long green flag run at the end, you're, as I mentioned, we had a 100 green lap green flag run at the end there. It's going to be more predictable. So that's why we saw such a highly predictive race at Las Vegas. Uh, I was definitely shocked by that. But, hey, if you don't have the big one, uh, like, you know, we thought maybe there was a chance of a big one. And, and certainly the cars were bunched up for a handful of laps, 5, 10, even sometimes 12, 15 laps, but uh, then they started to get spread out a little bit like uh, we've seen in the past, but certainly there was more passing at Las Vegas than we've seen in the past, yet the race was still more predictable, and I think that's because uh, these cars are harder to wreck, possibly, uh, but, you know, that's something we've only seen two races. It's something to take a mental note of and not guarantee that that's going to be a trend continuing forward, but but as we talked about at the top, if you compare to previous years, fewer cautions. Fewer cautions means, especially fewer cautions at the end of the race, means more predictable races. We saw more predictable Atlanta than in the past. We've seen a more predictable Las Vegas in the past. So, uh, yeah, as far as randomness, it's been pretty low this year uh, for the mile and a half. How accurate is your Phoenix model based on your past data, and how much is unexplained randomness? Yeah, so Phoenix traditionally has been one of the more predictable tracks um, in R-squared up around 0.75 in years past. Uh, a couple of the races last year um, were, were a little more random, I guess, than in the past. So uh, now we're around a 0.62 uh, R-squared there on the past data. So that means about 38% unexplained is is randomness that we can't you know, predict from the factors in the model. And again, that's based off of previous data. So how much this larger, uh, you know, spoiler and splitter, et cetera, is going to play into the predictability of the race and, and the, you know, this softer compound, I'm not sure, but at least based on past data, we're around 0.62 R squared. And what factors go into your model this weekend? So very heavily Phoenix is a 10 lap average track that is the number one factor and it's it's not even close uh that long run speed at phoenix is going to matter so 
I still think that's going to be the case this weekend, especially with track position being so important. If you've got good long run speed and you're out front, man, it's going to be hard to to beat you this weekend. Uh, and then the, the other things that go into it are because this race is so early in the year and then there's another Phoenix race late in the year, we actually use the last 15 races um, driver rating and finishing position because, uh, you know, obviously we've only had two races this year, not on restrictor plate tracks. So you can't really use a two race sample size to predict how cars are going to be doing this year. So that's why we use the last 15 non-restrictor plate races going back into last year uh, for, for predicting Phoenix. And then also track history is very important, especially uh, finishing position at the track. So I don't know if that's just um, taking into account both avoiding accidents and driver rating, because normally driver rating is the more predictive one. But in this case, it happens to be track finishing position. Um, but I think part of that is it's a combination of driver rating and then did you end up in a crash or not to really impact your your finishing position. So um, I, I, it's it's, you know track finishing position, but I just call it track history. Really strong drivers at Phoenix still tend to be really strong drivers. And then less so track type history, so the flat tracks, um, and then especially the shorter flat tracks uh, are make it a little more predictable if you eliminate the larger flat tracks. So um, looking at Phoenix, New Hampshire, Richmond, and then you can pull in Martinsville as well. Martinsville tends to be a bit more random, so I like to leave off Martinsville um, when I'm when I'm looking at like splits data, for example, in the NASCAR splits app. I like to leave off Martinsville and just look at New Hampshire, Phoenix, and Richmond, the small flat tracks that are faster and uh, give relatively similar uh, amounts of, of randomness and also relatively similar amounts of you know incident rate, etc. Uh, random question here why do you think it is that uh for this track in particular the 10 lap average is so predictive like what is it because it's a flat track like what is it about phoenix that makes it different to uh dice different from the other tracks yeah i think um i mean certainly 10 lap average is is useful at most of the tracks but the thing you get at phoenix um is just the fact that because it's shorter you get more cars that run a 10 lap average, whereas like at a mile and a half or a two mile oval, you may only get 15 or 19 cars that run a 10 lap average in final practice. And that makes it just less predictive overall because you have less data on that. But the shorter tracks, you tend to have more data. Uh, Also, just the fact that Phoenix is so track uh, history important, I think also feeds into the 10 lap because that is track data as well. So when you have a track where the specific track is very predictive of the specific track, um, that's very good. So like if you go to the mile and a half, you're not usually using, you know, for Las Vegas, we're not using Las Vegas history. We're using lots of one and a half mile ovals overall history. So that makes the 10 lap less important as well, because what's happening that weekend on that particular track isn't as important to that as, as maybe a track where track history is so much more important. Okay. You've mentioned on your live show each of the past two weeks that you believe the sim scores for the one and a half mile tracks are not trustworthy uh, or as trustworthy as they were in the past due to the aerodynamic changes, uh, at least until we get a large data set. Um, but with racing at Phoenix expected to be somewhat similar to years past, do you think the sim scores will be more useful this weekend? Um, I hope so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I certainly think Phoenix will be more similar to past Phoenixes than you know, Las Vegas is where to pass Vegas is or Atlanta this year was to pass Atlanta. So I certainly think, uh, you know, with the same horsepower number, 
And the fact that the aerodynamics don't quite matter as much at Phoenix, now certainly it's helping in the corners, uh, but I do think the sin scores will certainly be more useful. And this is mostly the same factors in this model that we've seen in the past for Phoenix. So I definitely will be using the sim scores this weekend. You know, maybe take it with a small grain of salt instead of a, a you know a pile of salt or something like that. But uh, you know, I, I definitely think the sim scores scores are going to be a lot more useful because the things that are going to impact the racing, um, like they did at Las Vegas and Atlanta, which is the aerodynamics, are not going to be as prevalent at Phoenix. And then we still have the same horsepower. Uh, we've got a little bit of tire compound change to maybe help make up for some of the aerodynamics. So um, overall, I think the, the sim scores will be just as useful as the sim scores have been in the past, you know, maybe minus a small, small bit. Let's talk about dominators. Each of the first three races this year has had at least five drivers lead at least 5% of the laps. Uh, Las Vegas probably saw the most traditional dominator distribution with two main dominators and Kevin Harvick and Joey Logano. Each of them led over 80 laps. And then the next driver after them, Kurt Busch, led 23 laps, uh, which equates to just under 9% of the race. Uh, however, seven drivers still lead laps in the double digits. What do you expect for us to see in terms of dominators at Phoenix? Yeah, I think Dominators has been one of the interesting early storylines um, just overall with you know Daytona having a wide distribution of Dominators, uh, Atlanta having mainly Kyle Larson, but then everybody after that being a wide distribution of double-digit you know, laps led. Uh, and now, similarly at Las Vegas, a lot of that did come through Pitt's strategy. Um, you saw multiple different strategies at Las Vegas that helped you know certain drivers gain some extra laps led there, but... Um, you know, I do think there is a little bit wider distribution of dominators at the mile and a half, especially, um, given, you know, what we saw at Atlanta and Las Vegas, making it easier to pass the leader, et cetera. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case at Phoenix. Now, if you look at, for example, dominators at Phoenix in the past, there've traditionally been maybe like, let's say three dominators. So we go to the first race in, uh, 2016 and there was three dot three drivers that led over 20% of the laps. Second race of 2016, there were three drivers that led over 17% of laps, so that's at least 55 laps led. Uh, first race of 2017, you had three drivers lead over a quarter of the race. And then, um, you know, finally, I guess the second race of 2017, you really had two main dominators. Uh, and then you had another two main dominator race in the first race of last year. And then second race last year, you had three. So it's mostly been threes with some twos. I think uh, I don't expect as much pit strategy to come into play, uh, you know, or not. I wouldn't say uh, as much, but I wouldn't say any more than in the past at Phoenix. So I still think you could see three dominators, but because it'll probably be harder to pass the leader, uh, I think it, you know, I think it'll probably be two dominators as the most likely outcome, with some potential for three and maybe even just one, where somebody like you know Harvick or Kyle Busch just stinks up the joint and leads 80% of the laps. I think it's pretty less likely at a mile track like Phoenix than if we were to say, I think it's going to be impossible to pass at a mile and a half or two mile track. You know, like we saw last year at Las Vegas with Harvick leading 80% of the laps or Truex a couple of years ago, leading 388 of the 400 laps at, at Charlotte. So I think we'll still probably see two dominators or three dominators this weekend, but um, uh, I, I would probably lean a little more towards two just because I do think it's going to be harder to pass the leader. That said, pit strategy could still come into play and make it a three-dominator race. What are the factors you are looking at to get a sense of who might be dominant this weekend? Track history, man. It is all about the track history with dominators as well. Um, you typically see the same drivers lead you know, uh, most of the laps at 
at Phoenix. Uh, so, for example, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, those are definitely going to be the two main dominators um, just because they've led so much in the past. Uh, then you've got Chase Elliott, who also consistently finds himself up front at Phoenix. So um, it just tends to be the same guys over and over and over again. Uh, and so really we're looking at track history dominance. Also a little bit, of course, of 10 lap speed and year-to-date performance um, or, or last 15 race performance comes into play. Uh, but really, it's all about past track dominance, not even track type dominance, but past Phoenix dominance when looking at predicting future Phoenix dominators. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. And with no prior knowledge about qualifying our practice because we are recording this on Friday afternoon. Who are the drivers uh, you are looking at right now who uh, fit best that criteria? Uh, certainly you have to put Kevin Harvick number one, obviously you know, nine career wins at Phoenix, and he's been especially dominant over uh, recent history at Phoenix, uh, especially since the Gen 6 car, but even in, even in the lower downforce era of the Gen 6 car, extremely dominant. But Kyle Busch has made some inroads into Harvick's dominance recently, uh, actually has a better average finish than Harvick each of the past two years at Phoenix. So that's kind of interesting to see. So those are those two are absolutely the top two dominator candidates, even under the new aero package. And I would say Kevin Harvick may be a little more favored under this new package just because we've seen it work better for him at the mile and a half. So now I don't know how much that's going to translate to Phoenix, but uh, maybe the team has a little bit more of an edge than the Joe Gibbs guys on at least getting a handle of the splitter, spoiler, et cetera, type of thing. So I would definitely give the edge to Harvick over Kyle Busch, but those two are right neck and neck as the top two dominator candidates and rightly so based off their track history. But after that, um, I think there's a nice group of like Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, and then you might even see somebody sneak in from uh, you know the, the lower part of the Hendrick team, like William Byron or Alex Bowman, who have both had uh, a lot of success at either Phoenix or at the, the smaller flat tracks. Um, so in, in Bowman's case at Phoenix and in uh, Byron's case, just the overall you know smaller, flatter tracks, uh, you know New Hampshire, Richmond. Um, even in the Xfinity uh, series or truck series, Iowa, for example. So um, definitely think uh, you could see a couple sneakier dominators in there. If if things shake out with some strategy or something like that, it could be one of those Hendrick guys who finds himself towards the front and plays a little strategy. But definitely Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick would be the top two. And then I like, uh, you know, like I said, I like Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson, who have had some dominator success in the past at uh, Phoenix. You've also talked about the criteria that goes into your finishing position model. What drivers are undervalued heading into the weekend based on your criteria? Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely think Chase Elliott is the most undervalued of the top tier. He's priced down in eighth position at 9300 And considering I think he could be a top three or four dominator candidate, um, that certainly makes him undervalued at 9300 heading into the weekend. 
Uh, somebody else that I think could be a little underrated, as I mentioned earlier, is William Byron. You know, he has an outside shot at dominating. He's only 7,000. I'd put him in more of like the mid 7K range, maybe even closer to the upper 7K range. Uh, you know, you compare him to his teammate Jimmy Johnson there uh, or compare him to, um, you know, Alex Bowman. He's he's right in that neighborhood of the, the Hendricks cars there, the Hendrick cars there. Um, especially when you compare him to Alex Bowman and you take the larger flat track sample size. William Byron, 79.3 driver rating. Alex Bowman, 75.7 driver rating. Both of them with around a 13.5 average finish. Uh, and Byron, the better quality pass percentage, the better average running position as well. So um, I, I certainly like you know William Byron this weekend as an undervalued, I guess, lower-priced driver at 7,000. You know, I, I think he should be mid-seven, maybe even upper 7K range. So you got Chase Elliott up the top. You got Alex Bowman down there at the bottom. Those two would be my most undervalued drivers. Now, certainly, I think um, you know you look at the top of the charts. Kevin Harvick, one, Kyle Busch, two. Those are probably, if either of them dominates, uh, those are going to be the best values overall just because they're going to accrue so many dominator points. But really, they're just priced that high because, you know, DraftKings thinks those are the two best cars here. And so price doesn't really matter for those guys. And that's why I kind of consider them undervalued because as, as long as one of the two of them dominates, they're going to be worth it if, you know, you went up to fourteen or 15000 even. So uh, undervalued in that regards that uh, they could just, crush a ton of laps and, and win the race and uh that that would make them a little undervalued as well and which drivers do you think are undervalued sorry overvalued uh based on your model um a couple drivers that i think are overvalued uh very first i have to start with ryan blaney now i know he's priced down at eighty two hundred dollars and DraftKings did a very good job of of knocking him down this weekend in terms of price but if you just look at his performance at these kinds of tracks, he's right there in that William Byron range, um, you know, 80.2 driver rating at these small flat tracks over the uh, the past two years. Um, and it gets even worse if you just look at, uh, at Phoenix compared to, to Byron. So, you know, Blaney has definitely struggled at these smaller, flatter tracks. Uh, and then another driver that has really struggled is Paul Menard. Uh, and I, you know, I hate to say it, but Paul Menard really should be priced, uh, and he's priced at 6,800 this weekend. He really should be priced in the low 6K range, down there with Ty Dillon and Bubba Wallace, and maybe uh, lower than Chris Busher because you look at his, you look at his splits. Well, Busher hasn't been that great either, but you look at his splits. He's right in that range of Ty Dillon and Bubba Wallace. You know, he's got a 60.4 driver rating. Ty Dillon 58.1. The next driver above Paul Menard. 72.2 so 12 driver rating points higher i mean that's an average running position difference of 22.2 versus 16.6 average finish of 16 to 22 uh, and that driver is austin Dillon. so you really want at least a significant gap between paul menard and, and the drivers in front of him uh like william byron ryan newman bowman Dillon, all of whom are so much better uh you could also you know, maybe say Ricky Stenhouse is a little overpriced at $7,500. But uh, even though DraftKings did put Paul Menard down at the bottom of that tier of drivers that I mentioned, there, it's actually he really shouldn't be at the bottom of that tier because there is a gap between them and Paul Menard. I would price Paul Menard maybe around 6300 this weekend just based off of his track history. He's up at 68. I mean, heck, I might even price him down at 61 or 200 this weekend. Uh, so I think he's definitely overpriced. I still think Blaney is a little overpriced. I'd have him maybe more around 77 instead of 82. Uh, and then also maybe Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is about 5K over at 7,500. I'd keep him in the upper 6K range or maybe right at 7 flat um, just because this isn't his best track type. He's known 
for for being great at steeper tracks and uh, restrictor plate races, and it doesn't quite fit the bill here. Now he hasn't had terrible results, so I wouldn't ding him as much. But but certainly Menard and Blaney are the two most overpriced. Some people would say Clint Boyer. But I think DraftKings did a good job with Boyer here this weekend. He's $8,400. And if you compare him to, you know, drivers like, let's say, Eric Almirola, who was his teammate last or who you know, was his teammate last year and, and again are this year, they had basically the same driver rating, 100.3 and 100.1 at these tracks, these three uh, smaller flat tracks when you remove Martinsville. Uh, so, uh, I mean, that's a wash. And then if you just look at Phoenix, um, Certainly, uh, you know, Clint Boyer struggles at Phoenix over a larger sample size. But last year, he actually outran his teammate Eric Almirola uh, in terms of removing DNFs and then looking at the finishing position. Um, you know, Boyer finished six to Almirola 5.5, but driver rating, Clint Boyer 103.5 to Almirola 92.8. So uh, I think uh, Clint Boyer is actually pretty fairly priced. And I didn't want to put him into the undervalued category because his Phoenix track history over a larger sample size is, is not as good, but I don't think it's as dire as uh, DraftKings priced him as. So um, I could say Boyer's fairly priced and maybe even a little undervalued, but I certainly wouldn't put it in the overvalued category like I think uh, people might be inclined to do. And finally, uh, what is the content schedule for the weekend? Yeah, so when we talked about randomness, uh, we're going to have a little bit more of a random content schedule this weekend. Uh, it is my wife and I, our anniversary, wedding anniversary tomorrow. So I'm taking her out for lunch right after uh, right after final practice. So um, we're going to have a nice lunch and uh, I'm going to have practice recorded and then I'll watch it. So uh, yeah, because I'll probably have to miss the last part of practice as well. So it's going to be a little more random. Um, whenever we end up getting back from lunch and before the, the Vegas Golden Knights hockey game, I'll try to get the apps updated. Uh, and then we'll still have Rotoviz live at uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern time at my Twitch channel. Uh, and then, of course, I will also be writing an Action Network betting article uh, on Saturday evening. So it will be out Sunday morning uh, for those of you who it might be a little too late for when I finish it and when it gets edited. But uh Pretty, pretty typical content schedule this weekend, other than the fact that it'll be a, a bit of a delay until we get the apps updated, simply because it is my anniversary tomorrow. All right. Well, uh, congratulations on the anniversary. Uh, what number did you say it was? Number six. So, uh, number six. yeah, we got uh, 369, March 9th with uh, the sixth anniversary. Nice. Way to go. Uh, that is going to do it. For this NASCAR edition of On the Daily, for Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, 
you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.